This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raftopoulos. How's it going, Johnny? Yeah, not too bad, Dan. We're underway, and we've got a bit to talk about. Absolutely. I think as the AFL was uh, wanting with uh, the way they structured this round, it really started with a bang. It certainly did. I mean, uh, some of the early games in the round were just seemed like heavyweight bouts, really. And yeah, it was uh, sort of carried through for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, definitely got to see footy back. Yeah, I wasn't really expecting too much from Sunday, but yeah, great to see a close game between Freo and Adelaide. And I think they kicked the last three goals there to win that one. So plenty happening. Josh Rochelle, uh, five goals on debut as well. The new Stevie J apparently. So yeah, no matter where you look this weekend, there was stuff happening. Plenty of new names to, to look at and uh, get excited about. So that brings us to our first point today. This is one of yours, Johnny. So you noticed uh, some guys who impressed you. It's a new season and uh, some mature age guys who might have uh, impressed you over the weekend. For sure. Um, Three in particular and obviously, as you just mentioned. um, Yes. So to start with, yeah, we've got got Nick Martin who, yeah, this time last year was playing for Subiaco in the Waffle. Uh, I think he kicked 24 goals for Subi last year. Uh, he's 20 years old, 192 centimetres. Like the way he moves, he's got a bit of speed. Uh, obviously, he obviously kicked five goals for the Dons in a 66-point loss, but uh, it's only one game. But I think the Dons will be welcoming any prospect that they can find up forward due to their glaring holes up there. Uh, yeah, he was really one of the only avenues to go, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he was yeah really presenting and, and making him making an option. Um, secondly, got Tyson Stingle, really good story. This is his third club now. Um, I think reconnecting with Eddie Betts seems like it could be a very good move for him. He had four goals and 20 touches. And I also really liked the game of Jack Hayes for St Kilda. Um, he was from Woodville West Torrens and he was, a, I think he was a supplemental pick or something like that. Uh, he kicked three goals, easily one of St Kilda's best. Um, yeah, I mean, if he can provide that sort of ruck forward foil for Marshall. You wonder if they really need to rush someone like Paddy Ryderback. Yeah, perhaps not. And uh, we've said over the years how valuable it has been for St Kilda to have those two ruckmen. So maybe they've found another one here that if one of their uh, big guys is out injured, they can actually, you know, get that advantage anyway. And, uh, you know, Ryder's getting on in years as well now. So Mm. maybe he'll actually... uh, Keep Ryder out of the side at times. Yeah, for sure. We wouldn't go far that far. (laughs) (laughs) No, maybe not. But it's good to see just some guys coming through, especially for St Kilda, who I guess some of their better players might be in the later parts of their career. But yeah, I think that's it's a really good sign. I think he was a he was a concreter. I think about two months ago. So yeah, (laughs) great story. What about Tyson Stengel? I guess he was. One of the guys who's been talked up most in the offseason in terms of how much of an impact he could have for his new club. Obviously, Geelong, uh, they've had some pretty decent small forwards, but uh, for some reason, everyone, a lot of people thought that Stengel could be kind of the missing piece for that Cats forward line. Yeah, I think he they identified him as someone who could just provide what they were lacking, I guess, up forward. Just that, that small sort of, uh, yeah, I guess half chance forward. Um, 
Yeah, because uh, I guess when you look at Rowan, he's um not really the typical the typical small forward. I know he's got a lot of speed, but you wouldn't look at him, I guess, the same way as you'd look at someone like an Eddie Betts or a um you know Cosy Pickett or whatever. Yeah, um, but yeah, and they got Dalhouse as well. And, but yes, he, got ne- he never kicked yep. too many goals. No, but a very good uh, defensive pressure forward, I guess. Uh, but Stingle, I guess, yeah, just gives you that little bit of spark and. Yeah, I really liked his game, actually. Yeah, I suppose if he can uh, just get into the right spots around Cameron Hawkins and setting up a few other guys, so that could help them a lot, having mm. that slightly more attacking small forward option. Definitely, definitely. All right, let's keep going. So uh, could have gone on a lot of angles with this Melbourne game. There was a <laughs> lot happening. Uh, but uh, one thing that really stood out to me was the inside 50 efficiency. So I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I think uh, they had so many more scoring shots than the Bulldogs in that Wednesday night game. And uh, the yeah the inside 50 efficiency was really high. So yeah, I just wanted to try and pick this apart a little bit because we know when Melbourne wasn't good, this was actually one of their biggest problems. So yeah. how have they actually changed it so much? Obviously, they've you know, become a much better team. But there must be a reason why their inside 50 efficiency is so high. Any ideas, Johnny? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is they are more clinical in front of goal. I mean, it just, it sounds like a really simple answer. But, um, yeah, just with the improvement with their set shots, I mean, that's still not, I guess, the most accurate at times and missed a couple of chances on, on Wednesday night. But, yeah, just the... um the reliability of, of players like Bailey Fritch and Ben Brown and that have just brought a more routine set shot conversion rate, I guess. And, um, yeah, then you've got uh, the, the small, you know, you've got guys, you've got midfield goals happening as well now. So you've got guys like Ed Langdon chipping in. You've got, um, you know, you obviously have the Spargos and Neil Bullens, uh, but uh, and Petrarca is, seems like he's kicking his, you know, one or two each week. Uh and Maxi's good for a goal a game. So uh, it's not really a, 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 the best answer, but I just feel like they've made the most of those chances a lot better due to whatever tweaks they've made that has helped them in front of goal. Um, but I just wanted to quickly talk about that because you mentioned that on Wednesday night and it was a really interesting stat. I think it was um, I think it was 60% conversion rate from Melbourne. I think it was like something like 35% for the Dogs. Mm, it was very low for the it Dogs, It was a yeah. big, big um, disparity between those two. Um, but if you were looking through the game, that stat would also tell the story for how the game went because I think in the second quarter, I felt like the Bulldogs would have been running at about 80 or 90% with that stat. <laughs> it felt like <laughs> when they were going inside, they were scoring and they were scoring six points each time. So, and that was what got them back in and got them in front. So that was a real telling stat throughout the game, I thought. Yeah, it kind of is the game in a lot of ways. You've got to make the most of it when you've got the momentum. And there was no clearer uh, evidence in this game. Melbourne had the momentum at the start, piled on a few goals. Then Bulldogs came back and then Melbourne, uh, you know, swung it around. But if you look at the overall scoring shots, Melbourne had almost double the mm. scoring shots. Yeah. And uh, it was a relatively close game, but really it probably shouldn't have been. Melbourne did miss quite a few shots, as a lot of teams do. But uh, looking at the scoring shots, you'd probably say Melbourne should have won by another two to four goals, really. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. So 
One of the things that stood out to me about Melbourne in terms of this inside 50 effectiveness is uh, they don't rush anymore. <laughs> they know exactly what they're doing. They know when to go a little bit slower. They know when to let people get in position. They know when to take it on. So they're just so well drilled that you don't actually see them really going to the wrong spot that much anymore. One of the things I noticed a long time ago, and they did it time after time, they they would just rush it. This is sort of early 2010 sort of stuff. They would just rush the ball forward to about centre-half forward, you know, because that was kind of all they could do. And then it would be prime position for the opposition to get a turnover, and they'd basically just often they'd take it straight back down the other end and score because they were turning it over in a really dangerous spot. But now you don't see that much at all. Unless there's something really on, they'll actually go usually relatively deep to the pockets. If something, if they can see there is space ahead, they will take the game on a little bit quicker. So I just think they're not exposing themselves by the sort of choices they're making going forward. And that has two benefits. It's harder for the opposition to score on the way out. But when you do actually identify that chance to do something, then it's a lot more open for Melbourne and they can uh, really take advantage of that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they've definitely perfected that whole flexible mentality of, you know, yeah, is it time to just slow it down? Is it, um, should we keep, you know, keep the, the kamikaze game going, I guess, and, and, you know, pressure around the, around the contest, surge the ball forward kind of thing. Um, I, I totally agree with that. I think they picked the absolute best times to do each of those things. Um, whether it was, uh, you know, surge it up the wing to a, a Petrarca in running space or, or just um, even something I just noticed um, in that game, I, I was a bit worried that when we were under pressure, uh, we would be doing a lot of hack kicks out of the back line and things like that. But um, when I think about it now, uh, there was never one time when, well, there might have been one or two, but there weren't many times where we hack kicked out straight down the throat of an opposition player. It was usually always to a contest and we were mm, able to halve yeah. the contest. So it's just a lot smarter the way they play now. And it's, yeah, they're very well drilled at the moment it's uh, it'd be a great team to coach at the moment I reckon yeah and when they do choose to go fast they're not rushing either they're still taking the time to make the right decision whereas you know if you go back to like 2018 that was all happening at like breakneck speed so mm. just that extra half a second or second they're taking is making it a lot easier for yes. the forwards up the ground to actually respond and for them to ball in hand to actually make the right decisions Absolutely. And, the, you know, it's showing in the stats. I mean, disposal efficiency, I think they were up around 70%. And, um, yeah, it's just looking uh, looking a lot cleaner. And it's probably because of that. It's, it's taking a little bit more time to think through what they're doing. Yeah. It makes them a lot harder to deal with, I think. Like, maybe some people would still point to Melbourne and say, you know, what actually makes them so good? There's so many things. We've talked about it a lot, so I don't need to go through it now. But I think this is still one of the underrated aspects to the game, how good they actually are forward of centre, even if they don't have the biggest names on paper. And Ben Brown seems to, you know, be a regular contributor now and he can mark anything if you put it in the right spot. So it's not like they don't have the guys up there, but, you know, still they probably don't have the best forward line on paper, but the way they actually work together and work with the midfielders, they're really hard to deal with. Yep, yep, and with the ball, without the ball, it's a very uh, dangerous place to be if you're an opposition team, having that ball in Melbourne's forward line. All right, last one on this, and it was actually the point I'd written down, so I should reference it. So I think one 
one of the other things that actually helps them with this effectiveness is how well they're actually able to turn it over in the midfield. And we saw this time after time in the Dogs game. Uh, there would be a, sort of a contest somewhere between wing and half forward. And if Melbourne could win that 50-50 contest, often if there was two or three guys around, it was a great position for them to sort of get the ball back. And winning the ball back there is just such a dangerous position because often there are guys that are a little bit more free or they've found a bit of space. So I did notice that quite a few times where the Bulldogs were trying to bring the ball out and then Melbourne was able to, you know, pressurize through the middle and, uh, you know, link up with a couple of handballs and then get a forward in a really good position. Yeah. And there were times, I think maybe in the second quarter, notably where the Bulldogs were winning a lot of center clearances. I think they win maybe four or five in a row, but, um, we did level up those clearances eventually, but you could see what the method was and that it was about, yeah, pressuring that ball carrier, maybe try and rush him into, you know, making a mistake. Uh, it, it is one of those things. I do think that center clearance is important, but it's just a slightly different way of thinking, I guess. And, um, yeah, like, it was, it was good to see that they were able to do that. They were able to sort of not only level up those clearances, but keep that, that pressure on them and um, work sort of work out quickly what the dogs were doing because it, it just seemed like there was a period, a very short period, um, mind you, but a period where it almost felt like a couple of years ago where they were sharking gone and, um, you know, he's hitting it down their throat and they were just getting first use of it. Um, it's just, I oh know, that's also a sign of a really good team right now where, where you're able to adjust to what is happening in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And people get into Melbourne about, you know, going to sleep for a period or not being able to play four quarters. But I think it's almost impossible to play the true four-quarter game in football, really. like yeah, Especially with that style. The, yeah, with the style and, you know, just the swings of momentum. Everyone always gets their turn with the momentum. But yeah. it's just what you can do to arrest it or limit the damage. So I think they're probably more important than this, like, mythical four-quarter game that people always talk about. Yeah. And as we've seen now in the grand final and this game, uh, these two teams, I think, are just going to play those games where the momentum ebbs and flows. Yeah, and that's what makes AFL great. Like, if one team has the momentum the whole time, it's just not really that interesting. Like, although Melbourne started so well in this game, it almost looked a little bit pedestrian early. That was how sort of off the pace the Bulldogs were, and it kind of yep. only got interesting once the Bulldogs picked their, their bundle a little bit in the second. Yep, no, I couldn't agree more. All right, that's probably enough Melbourne chat there. I probably went slightly too long, but yeah, great to see them get the first win on the board. So there's plenty of other stuff from the round that we wanted to reference here. So we both had uh, Geelong and Collingwood in our crosshairs in terms of impressive performances. So yeah, maybe I'll just throw to you, Johnny, first. What impressed you about both of these teams? Maybe take one at once, but uh, yeah, it was a great start for both the Cats and the Pies. Yeah, it was. And I think this is one of the more fascinating things of round one is, especially when you've got a new coach, is just to see what tweaks are going to be made with a game plan and um, the way you go about your footy. Um, we'll probably start off with Collingwood first, I guess. Um, yeah, Craig McRae's made it pretty clear that they want to play that more kamikaze style of game and just keeping the ball moving and surging forward, keeping the pressure They against St Kilda, they had a very good level of, uh, of defensive pressure and just generating scoring chances any way they could, even if they weren't the best looks at goal. I think they were just keen on getting those looks at goal. 
Um, it is high energy. It didn't look like they could sustain it all game. Uh, maybe not just yet, but uh, it did make us pay attention. And um, yeah, it, it was fun to watch, and it just it was refreshing. I think um, sometimes as a coach, you need to adopt the style that suits the players you have at your disposal. Um, I mean, even last year when Collingwood were doing well, I thought it was when they were moving the ball faster and taking the game mm, on. So, yeah. yeah, it's different for everyone. Obviously, there's times when you want when the coach has got a long term plan and they have the players have to adapt to that. But sometimes I do think you need to find a style that fits your players. Yeah, I think you you definitely need the players to buy in one way or another, and you know Colling would have been pretty difficult to watch over the last two years, mm. and we know Buckley wanted them to play a pretty defensive game style, and uh, he almost got them the ultimate success off the back of that. But yep. you can only do that so long, I suppose, you know, without it working. So yeah, it, it's definitely refreshing to see them taking the game on a bit more, and I think that was a trend across a lot of the games teams had a bit of an increased willingness to actually try and score which I think is a good thing like you have to score to win I know mm. it kind of does open you up a little bit more the other way but I think maybe we are seeing the pendulum swing a little bit back towards attack not to say we're not going to get low scoring games but maybe there is just a little bit more emphasis on an attacking game style now teams are starting to realize that you know you need to kick more than 12 goals to win perhaps yeah and also we're not saying that, uh, I guess, a slow, controlled style is bad. But, um, yeah, it just seems like there is a, a refreshing change. And it looked like they were really enjoying it as well, those Collingwood players. And, yeah, it's just um, yeah, it's just fun to see that that change in mentality. Um, uh, looking at Geelong. So where do you, where do you think – Where do you, uh, a couple more points on Collingwood. Yeah. Um, so where, where do you think that uh, – willingness to change to the attack has come from not just for Collingwood but more more broadly why has how, why have teams all of a sudden decided oh you know it might be a good idea to score a few more goals <laughs> obviously everyone <laughs> always wants to score goals but like you know there has to have been decisions made behind the scenes here of, to say okay we're actually going to prioritize attack more what where has this come from I, I think it's just making it more unpredictable. I think Collingwood were just one of those teams that became very, very easy to set up for defensively. Um, you know, you could just, yeah, whether you were playing a zone or you, you were just, um, you know, getting yourself set in your positions, it was just easy to, to see that ball coming down the middle and just do your role. And it just, it wasn't really threatening anyone. I mean, it, you know, you had, Brody Majacek's a, a very serviceable forward, but, um, you know, it was very hard for him to to get decent looks at goal at times late last year. Um, yeah, I guess injuries don't help either. You've got, you know, Jamie Elliott who struggles to stay fit at the best of times. Uh, Dugowie was down. You know, it just, I don't know, it wasn't really striking fear in anyone's hearts. Whereas I just feel like with this style, they're going to get a lot more chances and it makes you pay attention. Well, geez, if... If, if a player like Dugowie is going to get three or four extra decent looks at goal, well, we better uh, we better be ready for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just sort of feels like teams, even the teams lower on the ladder, got to a certain level of defence. So it almost seemed like the point of difference was going to be like how well you could actually attack, right? We yeah. talked about this a little bit last week, I think. But you need to have a way to score, obviously. And uh, I think teams are just starting to wake up to that a little bit more. The fact that, you know, you're only going to get a certain amount of good looks at goal and 
trying to actually maximize those or at least increase the number of those is maybe more valuable than just putting all your eggs in the defense basket. It's, yeah, it's sort of like if you're not going to do it, the other team will probably find a way to do it. Now with the, I guess, the rules being favoring forwards and 666, it's kind of like there's the uh, the carrots there and if you don't mm. take it, they will sort of thing. So, yeah, you kind of have to evolve and become yeah, a team that scores. It almost seems more risky to not try and score now with the yeah. way the rules have changed. It's actually like it's st- you can still defend, you know, well and without too much difficulty, but it does I think it has made it that much easier for the other team to actually take the game on. So you are actually risking by not risking, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you almost yeah. have to take the game on. Safe is not that safe. All right. Last point on Collingwood. Again, it's the one I wrote down <laughs> because we didn't quite get to it. That's all right. But yeah, just wanted to bring Collingwood up because, yeah, I guess we've been pretty critical of them. But now with some of their senior guys back, they actually look pretty good. And like they've got some good young guys coming through, obviously the Dacos brothers uh, and uh, even guys like Oliver Henry and Bianco, they look pretty good. So, you know, I think they're one of these teams that, if they don't get too many injuries, then, you know, maybe they will be challenging for the lower reach of, this, of that eight. But equally, if they got a couple of bad injuries, similar to what happened last year, they'd probably be out of that race pretty quickly. But, yeah, I can definitely see what uh, what some Collingwood supporters would be seeing in terms of some of the guys that actually might be helping them in the next few years. It's not quite as dire as maybe we thought. Yeah, look, it may well not be as dire. I mean, they definitely have on paper, uh, you know, a team that would have a bunch of players who, you know, you'd you'd recognise them if you saw them in a hotel lobby, I guess. Um, you know, definitely. <laughs> um, and you know, you look at their back line, and it's it's always great to have a strong back line, and they, you know, it's got an all Australian defender essentially. Nice uh, to have Howe back as well, and it's very good to have Howe back. Um, so. There's a bit to work with. There's no doubt about that. And they are one of those teams that you'd, you'd really be hoping as a fan that uh, you can stay healthy because they would have every chance, honestly, if, if they were staying healthy. I, I do I do wonder if they can sustain this style throughout four quarters mm. on a regular basis. That's probably my yeah. one knock on them. And it's not really a knock. It's just a, it's just a question. But, um, yeah, look, there's no reason why they can't. No reason why they can't at all. So great start for Collingwood, as you've tried to do several times, Johnny. I'll let you talk about Geelong now. <laughs> so Geelong, um, I think a lot of us saw probably not a complete overhaul in the game style, but definitely a, a significant tweak that they were going to be uh, implementing this year. Um, Geelong was the Geelong's win over Essendon was the biggest margin of the round, obviously sixty six points. And they seemed a lot less focused on controlling the ball and a lot more speed of ball movement. Um, it seemed like there was often a Geelong player running forward of the centre and delivering into the 50. And it's something that I think I definitely thought that that team was capable of, but we perhaps haven't seen for a, quite a long time from the Cats. So much more spreading from the contest, making options out wide. Uh, I thought it was really good to see. And, and Danger obviously started like a house on fire. Um, what were your thoughts, Dan? I, th- I thought it was a really impressive tweak that they've made. Yeah, I think all signs are pointing in the right direction. I suppose the bigger test will be once they play against an opposition that 
is maybe expected to finish a little higher up the ladder. I know people had big expectations for Essendon, but, you know, the forward line options are limited at the moment and, you know, they're not the biggest midfield. So I can sort of understand the fact that the Cats got on top of them through there yep. as well. Yep. So, um, but yeah, it's one of these sort of things that it's really easy to do what you've been practicing when things are going your way. Yeah, what are they going to do when things are not going their way? I would love to see them serve this up when they're five goals down, for example, or, you know, playing against the Western Bulldogs, which I'm not to say they can't, but I just think there's bigger tests to come. But yeah, all for them tweaking the game plan to try and actually take the opposition on a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I guess the question I had is, and it's probably one that can never really be answered, but I love those sort of questions. You know that, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course. The question is, would Geelong have been better served with a more attacking game style like this over the last couple of seasons where they've been right up there? Yeah, it's it's the ultimate hindsight question, isn't it? Um, it it's hard not to say that it might have helped. Uh, I do think it definitely served them well throughout regular seasons, but maybe, yeah, maybe in the big games there were times when it, it looked like they could have used something a bit more like this and a bit more dare, a bit more, not polished, but just uh, willingness to take the game on. Uh, but like I said, I don't believe Geelong ever had a list that was not capable of this kind of game style. But um, I think last year in particular is the one that I think about the most. Could they have been better served with this style? Yeah... Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it would have taken them further, but I think it definitely would have helped a little bit. Yeah, like when you're getting deep into the finals, these teams can hit back, and as we've been talking about already, you need a way to hurt the opposition. Yes, and the only way you can really hurt the opposition is by scoring. And we kind of knew that Geelong kind of had a ceiling on how much they could score against the better teams last year. So I'm glad they've identified that you know, this is the way forward and hope to see more of it. And uh, yeah, it could make for some really interesting games if they can keep this up. And, you know, a lot of people were riding off Geelong as they do every year, but, yep. uh, you know, they're going to win their fair share of games and uh, finish minimum top eight and be challenging for top four again. That's just what happens with this iteration of Geelong. So uh, yeah, anyone who tells you different is probably not thinking about what's actually <laughs> come before too much. Yeah, look, and it's a small sample size, and yeah, I'm the same. I would like to see him against, you know, maybe a a few more top-tier teams to really gauge if this is uh, something they can, A, keep going, or and B, is it going to hold up for them? Um, but yeah, it's definitely positive signs. It's better to have these positive signs earlier than negative. Yeah, for sure. So, like, you know, would it have made a difference in the prelim final against Melbourne? Well, you could say that with their other style, they got up to 40 points up in that round 23 game. Yes. I guess that was largely off the back of, you know, clearance dominance. But you never know what's going to happen in a game of footy. But, yeah, I think it is one of these things we're probably going to be returning to, the fact that teams are looking for more ways to hurt the opposition. So, yeah, good to see. And hopefully they can keep it up as you reference. Yeah, I think that prelim is a that's a tough one to um use as a an example because just because of that midfield dominance that Melbourne had and their clearances that they were winning. I mean, yeah, it's 
I don't think any style was going to help him that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Melbourne were on a mission, weren't they? Yeah. All right, this is one of yours, Johnny. So the role of the shutdown defender. So I think this is referencing Phil Davis's amazing game on Buddy, keeping him to one goal. He's on 996 now. But... Uh, yeah, the role of this sort of defender who's completely blanketing someone and not really trying to do too much on offense. But yeah, I wanted to have a bit of a chat about this. Yeah, um, I think this really made me pay attention because yeah, Phil Davis, he did an amazing job on Buddy. He held him to a goal. Um, you'd really like to see Brownlow votes given for a performance like this. Well, I would anyway. Um, and from someone like Phil Davis who... A lot of people, including myself, thought that maybe he was in decline, but this was a really great effort. I think, Dan, we'd need to pay more attention to a great defensive performance. So I think it can be really easy to watch a game of football and see a star forward like a Buddy Franklin out there. And it's easy to notice that he's had a poor game or he's been quiet, but not actually pay attention to why this is the case or who is the player doing the job on him that's doing a great job playing a great game himself. Um and also with the way the rules are, how they favour the forward. You know, it can, it can be tough. It can be really tough for a, a stay-at-home full-back, I guess you'd call them. Uh, so it's even more reason that we need to shine light on these types of performances. Um, but he was fantastic. You know, he wore him like a glove. He didn't let him get near it. Uh, it, it yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really great performance and a big, big reason why they would have been in the game. Yeah, some of these defenders are just so good at different points that no matter who they're playing on, you almost just stop thinking that the forward is on the ground. That's how dominant they are. Yeah. They just like rule them out as an option. That's it. Like I remember thinking back to a time where this happened. I think it was uh, Nathan Brown playing for Collingwood playing on Nick Rewalt in one of those grand finals. Like, yes. He was just completely dominating him and Rewalt was just a complete non-factor. So you just straight away move on and think, okay, where are the goals going to come from so I guess that's almost a way of ignoring the defender without ignoring them like yeah you're just thinking okay they've cancelled out that forward rather than actually recognizing you know how good a job the defender is actually doing so I guess it's just a way we're sort of trained to think about these things it's always well usually through the eyes of how you're going to score rather than negating but yeah these guys who can just completely shut one of the most important forwards out worth their weight in gold. Yeah, and uh, look, it can be hard these days as well because, you know, obviously when you and I were growing up, Dan, it was mostly man-on-man football and we all knew who the great defenders were, you know, Silvani, Fletcher, Scarlett. Um, you know, it's a bit hard to acknowledge a player, I guess, when they might be part of a system, like a, a zone back line or, and, and it's really more of the team effort. Uh, but I just think it'd be good if we could – find more of a way to acknowledge a, a good defender or defense in general and um yeah just just notice when they might actually not they're not allowing a star forward to play mm. a good game rather than the star forward just oh they've had an off day today you know <laughs> you know what it makes me think of it makes you think of kind of some of the NBA type awards like that gets a lot of traction over there and obviously it's a huge market but you know one of their things they talk about is defensive player of the year yes why don't we have a defensive player of the year exactly exactly I would love to see that I think the closest thing that we have to that is uh is um the golden fist on uh 
whatever that show is, bounce on Fox Footy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, if it's AFL, then, you know, it increases the prestige. And I think Absolutely. even just having an award is going to increase the notoriety of what they're doing back there. Yeah. No, I, I would love to see something like that. I think that would be great. Um, just to change tech a little bit, like I'm keeping it in the shutdown uh, mm-hmm. category, maybe not so much Defender though. I just wanted to quickly ask you, uh, do you think that there's a lot of um, emphasis from teams to play their own game plan? As, uh, looking at midfields, for example, yeah, to play yeah. their own style, or not style, but their own strategy and not enough attention to the opposition's best player at the moment. Because, I'm again, I'm looking at the Melbourne Bulldogs game, but Christian Petrarca was given quite a lot of space at times in that game. And uh, I'm just wondering, obviously it's hard to have a designated tagger these days, especially when you have your your um, your setup and, you know, you, you don't want it to take away from what your, what your system is offering. But do, what do you think, Dan? Do, do you think that, there's just times when you need to be mindful of the opposition's best player who is playing a blinder. I think there definitely are. Like it's all well and good to have what you want to do and your setup, but if it's not working, you need to be able to tweak it a little bit. And I'll go back to the grand final for an example of this. Bontepelli was getting off the chain at halftime, and he was he'd already kicked I think two goals by that point. Plenty of the ball, setting players up. And Simon Goodwin has referenced this in some of the media he did afterwards, the fact that he asked Oliver to actually put some work into him. He wasn't tagging Mm. him, but just that extra accountability. So I think there is something to this. Like, there's levels. You don't have to go with 100% tag, but if you can see a player or two uh, actually, you know, causing you a lot of problems with your current style, then... Like, it's almost like they're just expecting the game to change. And sometimes it does, but there does seem to be less willingness to actually try and make a tweak to actually make that change happen. They're kind of just hoping that the game swings back their way and then they can get what they want through that midfield. This is the sense that I got with the Bulldogs and um, was kind of surprised because after the grand final, it felt like they'd had a whole summer to think about these things. But come Wednesday night, I just felt like they were back in, they were still in that, um, yeah, just that ball hunting mentality. I mean, I just, there were a number of times when you'd see someone like Jack McRae doing what he does, and what he does is amazing. But, um, you know, at a stoppage, he's hunting the ball or making an option. And while doing that, the guy closest to him is Christian Petrarca, who's left on his own, especially for, I think, the last goal that um, Petrarca kicked. Um, it's just one of those times when it's like, okay, there's the opposition player. He's clearly been the best on ground. He's cut us up and put put a body on him. Just just stand next to him, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. You know, just uh, it's just one of those things. I just thought it was, I thought it was fundamental stuff, but um, yeah. So it sort of seems like teams are so focused on you know what they do and like perfecting that, and they're just maybe a little bit unwilling to go too far away from that, which, I don't know, maybe that's another one of the evolutions of the game that swinging back to the fact that you can't just be fully focused on what you're doing, especially when it's not working. I think that's kind of the mentality at the moment. If we do what we do well enough, it won't matter 
what their opposition's best two or three players are doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do, and I definitely feel like that's the yeah that's the way of thinking at the moment. But um, yeah, especially in the big games, especially in grand finals, I just think you need to have those gears. You need to know that all right, uh, this particular moment right now probably isn't the absolute biggest moment for me to get the ball. Uh, yeah. need to make sure they're not getting the ball and better still, if they're not getting it and I end up getting it, then that's win-win. <laughs> that's easier said than done, obviously. But, um, we, we also said it in the grand final when it came to Caleb Daniel as well. Um, was it worth, you know, putting some attention into him? But we also thought it was probably not worth sacrificing a player from our system yeah. to do that. And so there's times when that's going to be the right move, but in a game like this where Petrarca was just white hot and he was getting off the chain a bit. I think you just got to be adaptable and recognise when it gets to the level that it's hurting you enough to actually do something because th- surely there are levels where basically whatever your midfield is able to do with your sort of 100% focus on what you're trying to do isn't actually enough to either contain the opposition or hurt the opposition, then you do need to try and tweak something, right? So yeah. maybe maybe some teams are going to be better at that than others. But uh, yeah, it sort of seems at the moment that most teams are just stuck in that mentality of let's just do it our way and hope for the best. And look, I, I do admire that. I really admire that these teams are you know just laser focused. It's like, let's not worry about the distractions, the outside world. Let's just focus on what we do and back our ourself in and I like that but yeah I just feel like there's going to be times when you have to sort of stray away from that just a little bit especially in a game that could be slipping away um yeah I just think that's part of what those great teams did they made those moves when they had to they, they just made, like you said with the Oliver move to it wasn't a massive move but it was you know Clayton just be mindful of Bont like he's you know we need to yeah make and sure, his yeah. His influence on that second half was a lot lower oh, compared sure. to the first half. So and it, you'd have to say that worked. This is something that I think those Hawthorne teams did really well. They were very, very adaptable to what was happening around them. They would go, they'd have sort of a few tiers of their game, of their game plan. And, you know, whether it was doing their sort of their style, the, you know, just, you know, I guess I mean, it's hard to sort of pinpoint what their style was because it sort of changed a lot over Clarkson's time. But, um, yeah, just that when they had to adapt to the game, they were able to do it very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Our last major talking point for today, and I've termed it the Richmond problem. Yeah. <laughs> so the unexpected loss in that Thursday night game to the Blues for a lot of people. I think a lot of people were bullish on the Blues coming into that, but could they get the job done against Richmond? They did. So, yeah, one of the things that really stood out in that uh, last quarter and a half in particular was uh, the midfield depth of Richmond. So Presti had gone off injured and they were looking pretty thin through that region, especially compared to what Carlson could throw at them with uh, Cripps playing a great game and a couple of guys stepping up like Kennedy, Hewitt and even Chera had a great first game. So... Yeah, things to worry about for Richmond maybe, just how much depth do they have through that midfield if they cop a couple of injuries? And, you know, are there that many young players coming through? It looked kind of same-same for Richmond, and uh, I didn't really see much out of this game that would tend that would lead me to think things are going to be that different 
to last year, really. Like everyone coming into this season was saying, oh, you know, Richmond are going to be better. They're healthier. But, you know, you're not, if you can't run out of game, then you're not going to worry too many teams. In the second half of last year, they had a big problem with this. So I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be as bad as last year, but I think there's a lot of question marks here with Richmond. What do you reckon, Johnny? Yeah, it's it's really, really hard to gauge where Richmond are at at the moment. Um, because I was of the opinion that I thought there was some decent youth coming through. But the big question is, especially when you look through their list, you've got quite a few older players in a lot of these positions that are still, I guess, carrying a lot of the load. And the question I have is, is there going to be enough youth to cover that when they get sort of transitioned out? I don't think it's going to be a a massive drop-off for Richmond. I think that there'll be – there's definitely going to be a step back, and I do think we're in the middle of that step-back period now. And I had Richmond making the eight, but I didn't think they'd go too far. I kind of think that if they need to take this – just step back and retool a little bit. I think they, they could bounce back a lot quicker than people think. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at this, at their list, really. And yeah, some of these younger midfielders like Thomas, sorry, Thompson, Dow, um, Tyler, Sonzi, Will Martin. Uh, I, you know, heard good things about them. But I just wonder if they're going to be ready in time for when the guys like, uh, you know, obviously Cochin, um uh, McIntosh, Jack Graham, Prestia, Lambert. You just wonder if that transit, how how much of a soft landing is that transition going to be? So, yeah, I'm not sure. That's that's the big question. But I definitely think they're going to be taking a, a bit of a step back. Um, and something I've, I, I really, yeah, I, I, you talk about not being able to run out the game. I definitely saw that from a lot of those Richmond mids. I thought they looked really tired. I thought they were really just just struggling to run at the game and really um, and really frustrated. A lot of those um, they're giving away a lot of free kicks. Yeah, free yeah. kicks and fifty meter penalties. That they looked like a a, a team that was just um, old and frustrated. <laughs> grumpy yeah. old man, maybe they get the new grumpy old mentality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to write them off, obviously, um, but because uh, you know, I think they've got their. They've got their key posts reasonably set up, I think. Uh, Noah Bolter, I think, is fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, you'd think Tom Lynch can can sort of hold down that the key for uh, like Jack Rewalt. I don't. I've never felt in the last couple of years that Rewalt was really playing the most important role up forward. Anyway, but yeah, um, yeah, it's a real, real tough one. This one, um, but I think it could take a little bit of time this season to to get into the swing of it. And they don't usually start – they seem to they seem to end better anyway, but, yeah, a very tough one. Yeah. Yeah, I just think maybe it's not quite as rosy as a lot of people mm. were thinking for Richmond. Like, a lot of people were picking them in the top four just based on the fact that they were going to be healthier this year. But I think from what we've talked about there, maybe the issues run a little bit deeper than what some people have thought. Like I think a lot of people saw last year as kind of an aberration, but maybe there's a mm. bit more truth in what happened last year than people are willing to admit. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that's that's true. I think that's true. Um, I was yeah, I was kind of thinking that maybe uh, with another draft and maybe a, a, another another few good free agency players come in, you, you could get a, a good tilt at it maybe next year. But that's just thinking way too far ahead. 
Um, guys like um, guys like uh, Toby Nankoo. How old is Nankoo? Is he? For some reason, I feel like he's not young, but he might be still in his prime. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's pushing thirty, but he's one of these guys who I think started a little bit later. Yeah. So he has been sort of in and out with injury lately, but I don't think he's one of these guys who's going to really retire that young. But you never quite know with Ruckman; the end can come quickly. Yep, that's that's for sure. I think Robbie Tarrant will be handy for them. Um, looking at uh, the other thing was looking at some of their better performers. They were a lot of the older guys, like the Shane Edwards, the um. Yeah, the, you know, those, yeah, just those types of, like, the guys who had been around a while and they've just, they've done it. You want to see a bit more from the next bracket. I mean, is someone like Marley Pickett, is he, I know he was a great story when he came in, but is he going to be that next progress? Is he going to win you a flag, essentially? Is that type of player going to win you a flag? Yeah, again, very hard to say, but I think, He's not one of the problems, but, no, you no. know, it's just like, is he as good as what came before him? Probably not, but I think he's still serviceable. So, yeah, for sure, for yeah, sure. It's just, uh, it's a tricky one with Richmond, and as with a lot of these teams, it's a wait and see. But, uh, yeah, just thought I'd bring that one up because, yeah, maybe the expectations were a little too high for this team. Yeah, you You'd like to just see a little bit more, I think. And, and look, this season, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of, of what is coming through. But you'd just like to see another another player in the mould of a, a Bolton come through that can, you know, show some promise. Um, I thought Gipkis was was very highly <laughs> highly touted in the lead up as a, a first gamer, and I think he will be good. I, I do like the look of him, but he's going to need time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just think there's going to be some growing pains for the Tigers. For sure. All right, let's finish off with a brief chat about what we're looking forward to this weekend. So, yeah, for me, I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, how sort of real that performance was from Carlton. So straight up, they get great opportunity for a test coming up against the Bulldogs, who lost first up, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I think that'll be a huge game hitting uh, the Bulldogs, I guess the more seasoned team against the up-and-comers, Carlton. Good opportunity for them to take a scalp there and uh, the Bulldogs really need to get on the board as well. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting game, that one. Um, see what uh, what both of these teams are like on the deck of Marvel. We know the Bulldogs are very good there, but uh, I'd like to see how Carlton's style holds up because they really did play some great footy in that last quarter. They were taking the game on. They were, they were spreading well. Um, yeah, I, I think that in a lot of ways, I wasn't that surprised that Carlton knocked off Richmond, but, uh, yeah, I, I think round two is always the big test, isn't it? Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can fall down back to earth pretty quickly. Can they do it again? Can they beat the dogs? Oh, geez. Uh, I, I definitely give them a slight outside chance. I think, uh, I, I think that. They get they would take a lot out of that last quarter. It's that was a really, really impressive way to finish that game. And psychologically, you re, you do remember those things. I think it is one of those things you package up that momentum and you do take it into into the games that you know follow that. But the dogs are going to have a point to prove. Um, 
It's going to be hard. It'll be hard. But I'll definitely give them a, a slight chance. All right. Should be a good hard-fought game. Yeah. Any particular game take your fancy coming to the weekend? Yeah, there's it's a few interesting ones. I think the round one probably had a few more blockbusters in terms of uh, final eight teams from last year and things like that. But, um, yeah, look, no, there, there are. Uh, I'm definitely interested in seeing the Essendon Brisbane one. I'm really keen to – I don't know why, but that's just tickling my fancy. I think is that at Marvel? That is at Marvel, and yeah, yeah. I, I just, well, yeah. I think there's a few good matchups that could, you know, be there in that game. Um, Two pretty attacking teams. Yes, exactly. And I think a fast deck should be really interesting. Sydney and Geelong, I think, will be really, really interesting. Ah, uh, yes. Where's that one? So that one's at the SCG, and we remember what happened last time. I think they played up there. There was the um, the not fifteen fiasco and uh, <laughs> yeah that that'll be a good one um i think you and i both really enjoy watching the, the swans play at the moment so yeah yeah they had a fantastic game against cws on the weekend down yep. for a lot of that but parker in particular kicked some goals that really swung the game and he's got the captaincy now so five goals to parker and some really amazing ones actually so if that's anything to go by the swans are up and about early yeah, some really good football in that game, actually. I, I, to be honest, that was actually the most enjoyable game I watched in the round. Um, yeah, seeing a lot of really good con- contributors. I think Isaac Heaney is just, yeah, he's going to be up there as one of the best. Um, Ollie Florent, really impressed. Uh, he, he's very good when he when he has shots on the run, I think. Um, yeah, no, there's just there's a lot of good players in that side that you – you know, you'd go to the footy to watch, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. The Giants hung in there really well as well for a long time. Sort of uh, not any, they didn't really have any forwards that were dominating, but just finding ways to score. And uh, they're looking pretty solid through the midfield. Coniglio looked a fair bit better. Coniglio, I should say. Mm. But uh, yeah, maybe he's finally got fit. I think he had like a lot of uh, toe and foot issues, among other things. So he really relies on that fitness for his point of difference. But there was one part where he sort of gathered the ball, a bit of a uh, turn and, you know, accelerated away. So I don't think he's been able to do that. And then he kicked the goal as well. He hasn't been able to do that for the last couple of seasons. So maybe he's back. That's, yep, that's a really good point. And, you know, talk about a team that has players that you go to the footy to see that um, Giants definitely have a few of those. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, Canigua is looking like he's moving a lot more freely and he's, Really had a big preseason, I think. And, uh, you know, sometimes that happens. You definitely get that aberration year and you feel like it just wasn't happening for you and you need to hit that reset button. And that reset button is a new preseason. I think he's looking like he's ready for a very big year. Absolutely. All right. I think we'll call it there. Always fun to jump on the line. Thanks for joining me, Johnny. Yes. No, excellent. And uh, get out and about, guys. Enjoy the footy, and I hope your team wins. Bye for now. See you.